0: Even if you think something went really badly, keep going, because the best thing you ever play might happen two bars later.
1: Maybe I can do something interesting here that I might never have done before in my practice.
2: You are listening to And If Love Remains, a unique show spotlighting people, ideas, science, culture, and art. Your host... Mike Lovett. Mike Lovett. Rachel, you are correct. You are, we are listening to that great podcast in the sky. And if love remains, I am your host, Mike Lovett, and I am with my co-host, the Master of Music, the prince of pianism elias axel peterson welcome back to the show elias thanks mike i'm glad to be here it's going to be an awesome day it is awesome because we have got a mutual friend um, a guy who's been on the show a couple of times two or three times Mm -hmm. uh, brett leonard friend of the program really happy to have him on he is our he's our recording engineer guru Um, he's the guy that, that we go to, to talk about all things audio and, and it's just awesome to have him on that. He's willing to do it. Thanks for coming again, Brett.
0: Yeah. So happy to be back.
2: Fantastic. Good stuff. Well, um, I wanted to start the conversation with, um, um, a couple with one thing that that's kind of been on my mind lately because it's, it's kind of in the zeitgeist, of everything um but music as well and, and that's the idea of artificial intelligence ai in music um it's been used pretty poorly when it comes to, like composition and stuff <laughs> which i'm still grateful for by the way <laughs> i think it's you know we haven't we haven't reached you know uh, a composer level dante or anything like that but um I would, but but when it comes to like mixing and recording some of the technical aspects um I wanted to kind of get your take Brad on on kind of the the innovations that that you're seeing and if if you see AI as part of those innovations
0: Yeah it's uh it's really wild it's uh, I think about the first time I heard AI in reference to music uh, or in reference to audio, really more specifically, Um, it's been happening for years and years and years. And, uh, you know, there was that initial like, ah, the robot's going to steal our job. They're not going to need audio engineers anymore. It's just going to be a guy who puts mics up and kind of like sits there bored. Um, Right. But it's really started to actually be useful, I think, in the last probably three or four years. It's really started to come come to the forefront um and it started with mastering that was where i felt like i saw it first it was uh you know f- upload your songs to this website and magic happens and the computer right. takes your audio and and makes everything better and uh the first few attempts were were not so much <laughs> yeah uh better was not really what was coming out the other end it was no, louder so- <laughs> yeah <it> was- <laughs> it was louder. It was more distorted. Uh, right. yeah, yeah, it was, it sounded, sounded like Californication from the chili peppers. Uh, right. you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty rough. So it was funny. There, there were a couple of companies that launched things and, uh, you know, within a year they were like, uh, maybe check back soon and we'll have something new for you. And they kind of like rolled back these services. Um, but it, it's popping up again in a really cool place. Uh, a couple of, Ah, uh, digital distribution services now have options where you know i'm I've spent all this time and energy and money on making a record. And now it's this final step, and it's probably the most uh, voodoo like of the the audio process. You know, mastering is still this like, I don't right. know, some fancy Imagine. guy, some fancy place does some fancy thing, and everything's better. Question right. mark? so uh yeah it's really cool for independent artists to you know not have to budget thousands of extra dollars for this kind of unknown process um and so yeah you you can you know tag check a box somewhere on your your digital distribution and at least there's this once over but on the production side there have been really cool things happening um uh, there's a company called Isotope uh, based in Boston that's now part of a larger music group uh, that is a plugin maker. And they've always been really interested in kind of cutting edge uh, computer technology. That's right. You know, their algorithms were always these kind of newest, fanciest, greatest things. Um, and they have a lot of like assistant things or features in their plugins. And they do a really good job. You know, you, you feed it a reference or you let it listen for a certain period of time. And they do a great job where it gives you a suggestion, but it's not like they've taken away all the controls. It's not a black box that you just something in something out. Um, They give you a starting point, which it feels like cheating sometimes, you know, like I I will admit I've clicked the assistant button sometimes been like, yeah, let's see what happens. And, Rarely is that the ending point, but it gets you pretty far along and gives you a good jump on things.
2: Yeah, no, and and I think that's that's the part that um you know I've I've been using a tool called Mix Monolith where you know when you when when you're mixing in a room like this that I'm in you know where it's not perfect and it's I think the hardest part is getting your gain staging right, like getting yeah you know making sure that your 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 lows sound good, that your highs sound good, that everything's kind of where they're supposed to be um and it's hard when you don't have perfect monitoring and so i think that's a great place that ai could be useful where um i put it on every track and then it just reads like I, I play the song normally as i normally would you know with all its imperfections and then it, it kind of reconfigures the the tracks and, and gets the gain setting right where i can i feel like i'm in a solid place to start the mix yeah um yeah
0: I, I, all the loudness based stuff is really yeah. i feel like it's a good place a good niche for ai to be in because there's still a lot of subjectivity to it but the metrics have gotten better our our ability to sort of process and analyze and come up with a starting point is it's tough for a lot of people and like you said headphones versus big old speakers versus treated room untreated room there's so much variation there but but a computer can do a pretty good job cutting through that. So yeah,
2: absolutely. And, w- where and do you- it does, you know, w- yeah, that's that's a, that's a big thing. And 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 I do think like and and you know, Elias, uh, I'd like to get your take on this as well. As far as like when the the, I, I think the mystery. Uh, one of the things I like about AI being kind of saturating the universe and in, in art and music and and all these you know coding all this stuff is it's kind of uh, I guess, pulling the sheet back, maybe kind of, um, uh, to me, it's not as scary anymore. Like, like, I think, I think we're realizing like there is no matter how far it gets, there's a place for a humanoid to get in there and, and, (laughs) and make those final decisions and make those kind of like, okay, this is, this is, this is where I'm going to put my, my take on that. Um,
1: yeah. I was wondering that, that, where you think the pitfalls might be or the challenges right now for AI, you said in, in the loud ranges, it's, it tends to deal well with it. Um, but we always find that we need humans to, to adjust certain things. So where, where are those challenges that it can be improved or, uh, what's so useful about the human coming in to the, to the picture?
0: I, I still think, you know, ultimately music is telling a story and it might be telling it with words it might be telling it with with purely harmonic material it, it but ultimately there's a story or a journey or there's there's some emotive element and that's the part where where it gets lost right you know in some respects a uh, kind of straight up the middle pop tune is a really good place for AI right now because we expect a lot of compression and we expect strong vocals in the front and we expect everything else to sort of be spread around it. Like there's sort of rules to follow. Um, but as it gets more and more subtle as, as, you know, what's the important word in this, this phrase, is there one word that connects with the audience or or really drives home a point? AI doesn't know that. Like there's no, there's no human element to make that connection or realize where the connection is and then respond in a musical fashion. And that's, that's where I think it falls flat is it doesn't have that nuance and in a weird sort of way, you know, there's, there's so much more pop and rock music being produced out there um, than there is classical, but classical is, in a lot of ways, the most difficult to understand when you're dealing with purely harmonic content and, you know, you f- you feel this push and pull and this dissonance that's pulling you somewhere and then it resolves or it doesn't resolve. Um,
2: yeah, it doesn't really understand dissonance at all. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's, it's just, it's uncharted territory for the machine, I think. I don't uh, think it's really able to deal with that like a human can.
1: I just wonder if there's a point, you know, because what I love about music is it's so subjective. And there aren't necessarily real answers like you might get in math, although, you know, high levels of math, there's a lot of subjectivity and, and creativity also. But, you know, it is, isn't it possible that a um, an AI could create something whereby a listener wouldn't know the difference? Uh, we've heard, you know, programs that create fugues and it's like, ah, oh, that's pretty good. Is it at the level of Bach? I don't know, but um, pretty darn close. Yeah. Uh, and so what would really separate that? I think we humans think of of ourselves so highly um and we have these <laughs> egos that say no a computer could never do that and yet how many sommeliers are are fooled by you know cheap wines for example how many yeah. great uh mm-hmm. music critics would be fooled by an, a great ai you know i, I don't know where it's it's such a philosophical like, conundrum that we have <laughs> if yeah. we have this great product and like oh that's so wonderful and then we find out an ai did it does that take away from the value of it
2: well, that's a good question. Actually, that's a that's a great philosophical question. Like, you know, if, if we see this piece of art that people fall in love with and are finding meaning in, and then mm. we realize it was a computer that generated it, you know, that's <laughs> that, I, I goes mean, down, in, that goes down a rabbit hole, man.
1: I know. In an in the art world too, you have copyists who are not phenomenal. And I remember watching some documentary on some, you know, Chinese man who could copy Van Gogh and Michelangelo and all those greats, and they were incredible copies. And so you buy mm-hmm. that you know for 50 million you realize it's a fake but it's it just as good as the original and so it's not worth anything anymore it, that's a really tough question yeah so
0: you know the the one thing I think even in my darkest moments of uh, a robot's gonna Human replace despair. me <laughs> yeah. sort of yeah you know that that <laughs> like that where are we headed I think about there's one time that I can't ever picture, Uh, A.I. taking over. And that's the actual production process when an artist needs support or they need reassurance or they need to be pushed that, you know, uh, in the studio world in particular, there's such a there's such a delicate psychological dance that goes on. And, you know, you see there are there are producers um, that are downright mean to the artist in the Mm -hmm. studio and that elicits a response that maybe produces great art or Mm -hmm. maybe it produces long-term need for therapy (laughs) but you know (laughs) like uh and then there's other you know producers who will they will just totally strip the studio of its character and and put up candles and put up artwork and whatever and that puts um somebody in the right the right frame of mind to give a great performance. You know, there's all these different techniques and I don't know. It scares me to think about, uh, an AI that can interpret human emotion and predict human response so well that it could do those same things, Yeah, you know, but that's the kind of thing that happens over years of getting to know somebody and getting to know who they are as an artist and getting to know who they are as a person and, and being able to put them in the place they need to be in to perform. And that's, you know, that's the most fun part about the the studio proper to me is like mm-hmm. getting that amazing performance, getting excited about something. And, and it becomes this sort of collaborative process that, yeah, you know, even the technical, the technical side can be solved by AI, but I don't know if the human side can ever really get there.
1: Yeah. I think we'll have to get into the process for sure. But I think the crux of it is that the process is so meaningful. And, and often when we say the, the ends justify the means, in this world, where you know, such as consumer world, everybody's producing something. Anybody can produce a CD nowadays, or recording yeah. of some sort. CDs are like an anac- anachronistic, but um, you know, what what does it matter or mean to have a final product um, if the journey there was was cheap? Well, if you
2: if I mean, let's let's pretend for a moment that that we each get like three identical um, cassette recorder, you know, mm-hmm. tapes, and we start listening to them. And they're the same recording, okay? They're the same thing. Um, the difference is, Brett, you're told a story that it was created by a computer. Elias, you're told the story that was created by um, a, a concentration yeah. camp member. Sure. I was told that the that the story that it was uh, created by, um, you know, Charlie Manson. You mm-hmm. know, like now how we interpret and how we, how we think about and what we, um, you know, what, what we, what we, the value that we even place to those recordings becomes vastly different for all three of us. Yeah. 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 You know, and and I, and I don't know how to square that circle, you know, because, you know, in one, in one way you kind of want to like have the art speak for itself, but another way it, it can't be in a vacuum, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at things like AGT, which is, has blown up nowadays. It's, it's incredible. Um, and it's it's hardly about the talent anymore. It's so scripted, you know. Everybody's got their sob story. Uh, it's it's almost like you're selling selling this product. It's not that you're selling the music or that the music speaks for itself anymore.
2: Yeah. And at the same time, I think I think the the technology. In fact, in fact, I'm going to bring this up a little bit earlier than I planned on. But I think the project that Brett was just working on is a such a beautiful example of using technology to um you know to tell another story in a different way in an interesting way can you talk about the what you've been doing and Yeah.
0: yeah yeah so um about a week ago we're just coming out of the halloween season uh so uh about a week and a half before Halloween. Um, we did a big, really story-driven um, concert here with an amazing percussionist, Terrence Mayhew, and his wife, who's a phenomenal singer and actress. Um, and they did, it was really a one-man show as far as the music goes. Um, Terrence. Uh, does a bunch of live looping stuff so he that i wish i had a, a handy picture or something to show the world here but uh we had you know this 50 foot by 35 foot stage and there was barely an inch that didn't have some sort of percussion instrument on it there was wow. you know marimbas and keyboards and timpani and two drum sets and all kinds of stuff but um he'd feed all that in to this loop pedal. Um, and he'd build loops. Uh, there's also keyboards and a couple of string instruments and things that he was playing and he'd build these loops and he'd sort of build a bed and then he'd, um, do a little bit of improvisation over the top, but also do some kind of sound design and foley over the top. Um, and on about half the tunes, there was either spoken word, uh, like reading through, uh, stories or poems, uh, or singing. But uh, along with that, to reinforce what was going on, uh, there was custom created video content by one of uh, my fantastic students here uh, who just cobbled together these amazing images, some of it was shot specifically for this, some of it was existing, Uh, but then we also did surround around the live audience and surround pre produced um, sound design as well, that was coming in and going and sort of reinforcing the music and so uh, it was an experience rather than just a single medium form, which I think was a lot of fun for a lot of the audience who's used to coming to pretty traditional concerts where they, mm-hmm. they get the entire message through sound. And this time it was it was a bit more immersive uh, and multi-sensory. Oh, that's awesome.
2: Yeah. No, it, it, it sounds super cool. And, and I think, you know, uh, being able to, you know, engage you know, it's kind of like a new, new, new art form in a way, because it's, you know, that, 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 um, that immersive, um, you know, it's not a movie, it's not a video game, it's not music. I mean, it, but it's all those things kind of combined it are you're, you're putting yourself in this new world that doesn't exist. It sounds very exciting.
0: Yeah. It, it was super fun and it, and it allowed, uh, it was kind of a playground for technology. It, uh, the, the whole music tech faculty and three of our, our senior, uh, or our upper level students, um, were kind of the production team and we were just like, Hey, I got this crazy idea. like, okay, let's see what happens. And, you know, it just kept, it made it a little rough uh, at times. Cause it just kept adding and adding and adding, but <laughs> it, it, yeah, as far as a storytelling situation, it was really amazing. Um, to be able to, to my favorite moment. And this is something I think probably 99.9% of the audience won't have even considered. But, uh, as doors opened, uh, the six channel surround soundscape started playing and it started pretty low. The lights were pretty low and there were kind of a rosy, yellow rose-ish color and they became more and more red and uh the soundscape built up and it had things coming and going but it had this low frequency drone kind of pulsing behind it and that grew through 30 minutes of of the house being open and people coming in and getting situated oh cool and and it hit this overwhelming point and then it just cut off and the lights all shut down it was all synchronized uh through some software so the lights all cut and the screen cut off and the sound stopped and somebody went ah and I, heard, <laughs> I heard that from the booth and i was like yes all right yeah. we did it like yes. six years yes. yeah yeah no, like, like there was like this actual like visceral response from somebody i was like okay cool we're off to a good start you know oh that's fantastic yeah that,
2: yeah that's really cool that's really Remi- cool.
1: It reminds me of that. Uh, there's a clip that you can find on YouTube of a fire Firebird Suite when it goes into that dun dun, dun 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 dun, but uh, you know it's very calm right before and then the big crash and somebody yeah. was sleeping in the audience apparently and screamed <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody laughed and yeah. but but that kind of uh, entire audience experience where you you know collective um, excitement or awe or whatever I think is what, uh, what makes me hopeful that concerts will, or live performances and concerts will always be here. Oh yeah. How do you recreate that anywhere else? Yeah. Yeah. There's something about crowds, which uh, can be terrifying and not always great, but when it's <laughs> for a great cause and you're, you're together, that energy is amazing. So
0: And, and there's something, there's something beautiful that happens perceptually when we listen to something live. Or Mm -hmm. when we listen to something the first time, everyone always says, you know, like that first listen is special. And it really is because our brains have to, when you think about the amount of information we take in at any given second, we have multiple senses. that are all feeding us information. And, and even when you just look at the auditory sense, there's so much going on that our brain necessarily has to say, okay, these are the important things. These are not the important things. Filter, Yeah. Yeah, and and that perceptual filtering, we don't, have you ever gone back and listened to a live performance yours or one that you were at and you go, oh, I don't remember that little thing being out of tune or that little yeah. note being late, right? right? That's what we do that first time. We don't, we're not listening in a way that's looking for problems, right? There's, there's, there's always people who are in that mindset, but the vast majority of people at a concert, are listening for the intention and for the beauty and for the, you know, they're, they're trying to get into the story that's being told
2: and it's magical. Like, yeah, you can't
0: reproduce that. It's,
2: you know, it's funny. You mentioned that when I was in college, I, I uh, performed with a fine choir, um, the uh, Messiah, the entire oratorio. And it was kind of a big, um, event where they were inviting high school choirs to come in and sing some of the the chorales and and had a big orchestra and you know the, the the whole thing and and so I asked somebody I said well so are they recording that and there's and I said they said yeah they're recording so was well, there a way I could get the recording and they're like no we only give the soloists the recordings because it's not quite the same when you- <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not what you remember <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah and, it's true because when you're in that moment and you're feeling that you know for lack of a word you feel that spirit and you feel that 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 ex- excitement and and what's going on Um, you know, and you feel the, the true like the, the, the energy of the performers. Um, and especially if you're adding on, you know, such, you know, delightful, (laughs) you know, things going on and, and, and strange things that you've never heard before. It, it, it could be, you know, you almost don't even know what you're listening to and it's quite exciting. Yeah.
0: I, and that's something that it's funny The the classical and jazz music, or let's even say the acoustic music world, has sort of been outpaced in a lot of ways. You look at really electronically driven pop music and you look at theater, um, mm-hmm. you know, traditional stage theater. Um, there have been so many advances and pushes towards um, a real experience, you know, like. Mm-hmm no one, no one goes to a big arena rock show and leaves thinking that they heard their band. Right. Yeah, right. People say, I saw my, I saw my favorite band. Right. Yeah, right. The visual component is, is just as important as the music. And then, you know, you're getting these crazy tours that are building in all these sort of surrounding events. You know, it's like the super bowl. Every time Taylor Swift has a concert, there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's a million things going on and, yeah. um, musically, you know, say what you will, but, uh, it's, it's an experience and people remember it for years and years and years. You know, people talk about it for months after they go to something like that because it's such a, a sort of overwhelming sensory world that's constructed.
2: So I wonder like, uh, you know, and I, and I think about this, in fact, Elias, I think you'll remember this. We had Tom on, um, a while back and we were talking about, and I can't remember which concerto, but it was, it was a clarinet concerto that we were talking about. And how he talked about how that was such a strange sound to that audience that to get the same effect from the composer, we would almost have to do it, you know, using the synthesizer or something like that as the because because we, we can't hear a clarinet the same way that they did back mm-hmm. then. And mm-hmm. and I'm curious, like, you know, and I know, um, you know, you and I, you know, really grew up in more traditional, you know, classical, uh, especially you, you know, backgrounds, um, you know, at least ha- what are your thoughts on like trying to create that a similar experience for the concert goer who's, you know, you're, you're doing a show here shortly, you know, obviously you're not going to have a big light show. You're not going to have those type of things, but um, you know, and and so you're not competing in that same way. And so it, it's kind of in your hands to create a an artistic and, and, you know, a memorable experience and so what are your thoughts as, as you're kind of like building a show like that
1: my, my mind is reeling right now because i'm thinking of <laughs> so many things you guys are saying and e- even the <laughs> the terminology is like is getting to me because i i think and not in a bad way it's like how do we um talk about our specific genre um and yeah. so for taylor swift it would be a To me, like a concert, but like you say, Brett, it's almost a show. It's an experience. Yeah, not just an oral experience. It's a visual. It's a you know, you feel the vibration. You're around everybody. It's probably their sense, smells, and everything. You're with ten thousand other concert goers. So (laughs) yeah, that that is so interesting. And I, in my genre, like I never tell people, hey, I have a show. I just yeah, not in my lexicon. I have a concert. I have a recital. I have a performance. You know, those kinds of things. And it's simple. I mean, I even make the distinction between song and piece uh, with my students a lot. And, you know, maybe it's being a little pedantic. And I've had students that complain, and that's fine. Um, I had one student that used to argue with me that all, you know, pieces are songs and vice versa. And I just said, well, well, you know, if you want to play a song in class, uh, I can't wait to hear you sing it. And they're like, no, I'm, I'm going to play. It.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's it. That's cool. You can sing la la la, you
1: can sing words, but if you're going to play it, it's, it's an intro- instrumental piece. Now all songs are also pieces. Anyhow, that kind of, you know, that's just, that's this, just the tip of the iceberg in how we, we create these uh, experiences. So I'm going to have the concert or in, in this case, I guess, a recital coming up and no, I'm not going to have a light show and uh, you know, I'm not going to incorporate that, but I'll talk to the audience. You know, I'll incorporate some other storytelling devices to get them interested and in, but they also know what they're going to. Um, but there are some, I guess I would call them crossover artists, but not always, but uh, pianists that have light shows or screen projections behind them. Um, and I've done some things like that with pieces that really lend themselves to that. So I, I did my doctoral project on, on Mussorgsky pictures at an exhibition. We've talked about that a lot. Um, there's a lot of imagery in that it's based on imagery and, and, and all that. So, um, I've had screen projections while I've played it in the background. I'd, I'd love to do a more multimedia project with like dancers and, and light shows and all this stuff. I mean, I, I'd love to put a hundred dollar production together. I just don't have that team, but someday, (laughs) someday that'd be a lot of fun. Um. So anyway, that I know we're we're getting lost in the weeds, but it's it's really hard to uh to split these kinds of things and and discuss them.
0: I wonder too, you know, there's when I watch you play, if 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 I was able to fly to Vancouver and and see this this um recital you have coming up, you know, part of me would be there to experience the music, mm. but part of it, I think and maybe I'm unique in this respect, but but I think I'm probably not. Is to is to experience you know just this overwhelming skill that you have in the same way that if I went to um to to watch somebody ice skate or mm-hmm. you know figure skate, like mm-hmm. it's an exhibition of just incredible skill too. I think yeah. that's really different between the show and the concert, let's say, if we want to put it that way, you know, where it's much more about that performance
1: and the ability
0: to even achieve that performance, let alone do it so, so amazingly
1: well. Yeah. The visual aspect is always going to be amazing. And I think we, we love that. Um, and we like to see something that seems incredible technically. Uh, even if I think the layperson who might not be, have the trained ears that we have, uh, would still get a lot out of watching something. And some artists really take that um, as their calling and, and in a good way and in a bad way. I mean, we make fun of <laughs> people like Long Long, who tends to be very ostentatious and outgoing with all his movements and motions. I I happen to think he's a phenomenal pianist. You know, I, I hated him for many years, but I, I respect him a lot. He does motions that all, don't always go with the music, which that I don't like. But there are other uh, pianists that do tons of motions too that do go with music. So I don't mind that, but I'll tell you, I, I, play a lot of videos for my, um, for my students who don't have the background and the training and whatnot that I do. And so it's int- I'm always curious, sometimes disappointed or disheartened rather at, at what they're picking <laughs> up on, because I'll play a performance from a competition where it's very high level, high stress and all that. And, and, you know, you're under scrutiny of cameras and you're being broadcast to millions. Um, and certain ticks and things are gonna just come out. That's the nature of it. And all the all the muscle movements and all the facial expressions that you make, they're gonna be exaggerated. Uh, and that's often what my students will see. We'll hear the piece and like afterwards, what'd you guys think? Well, the guy made a lot of faces. And it's like,
2: oh, let's do <laughs> right. that. that's too bad.
1: That you know. But then I look at it, I try to like forget or disassociate my knowledge of music and say, you know, if I were just watching that from a visual aspect. Yeah, they're right. You know, he's making a lot of faces and some sometimes they go with the music, sometimes they don't, or sometimes they don't understand how it could go with the music. So yeah, um, right. it's really hard. I, I've always tried to be a very stoic pianist without much motion. I, for me, like the model is Rubinstein, who mm-hmm. hardly moves, or Hor- Horowitz, they hardly move, but they do as, as much as they can. Um, by the same token, I love Sokolov. And he, his arms fly in the air higher than most other pianists. And it's, it's wonderful music that's being made. So um, if, if we can be honest and true to the art and the, the eventual goal of creating a story and music and not say, okay, I'm just an exhibitionist here, uh, then, then I think it's okay. And I, I think there are a lot of pianists who come across as exhibitionists and uh, there's a time and play for, place for that, you know. If you're playing a virtuosic list piece that needs to be tossed off, yeah, sure, add a little flair in there. I'm I'm fine with it. <laughs> but you know, there there's still some... I need to get
2: my flare buttons out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll wear all the flare <laughs> buttons I
1: need. But there's something to be said for that, like deeper understanding that that I think is sometimes lost with those with those people. So,
2: well, I, I, I think I, I think there there's something to that. Like I, I do like um with a lot of spectacle what can get lost is you know that that um you know what what is wh- i guess what is being trying to told and, and there's a lot of ways to tell a story right like like it's just as it, it's just as impactful the example that Brett gave where where you had this low end rumble and then it was the silence that actually yeah. was the you Know the, oh, the right. thing that startled people, um, and and I, you know, I think if, if somebody walked into a quiet concert hall and, um, you know, and and heard, you know, the the you know, the beginnings of a of a show pan nocturne or something like that, you know, you can be easily moved, you know, but but you have to be prepared, and and, and you know, that could be prepared by the artist through through a story or or something like that. Um, or just through the energy that I like, there are certain artists and Elias, you're one of them when I've heard you play, like, like Thanks. just the, 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 power of the music that's being performed will, you know, it just, it's moving. And you could say, well, Mike, that's because you're a musician and you understand what's going on. But I think in fact, in fact, I, a quick story, I had Elias, uh, play for one of my recitals and w- one of the parents of one of my students. I mean, I love this guy so much. He was, he's just the coolest guy and knows nothing about music. Like he his, his, I think he's from Pakistan. His, his, uh, his kids, you know, I've taken from me from years, but he knows nothing. He's a, he's a, He's a guy that works at Bankroom America. Elias played, and at the end of the performance, he literally leaped into the air and just shouted out, That's it! <laughs> That's <laughs> it! And I don't know if you remember that, Elias, but it was just insane <laughs> that he was <laughs> able, just, just by the power of, of the music that was being created in that moment, just move that guy just into the air. It was, you know, a 60-year-old man screaming, That's it, it was amazing.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, don't, <laughs> I don't remember that, but that's cool.
2: Um,
1: it's you know when you say uh, if you are a musician going to something or not, Brett, you said something earlier that um, uh, we can we can appreciate something about appreciating it so much or or listening to the experience and the story and not necessarily looking for uh, faults or mistakes. Yeah, and I sometimes feel maybe because it's just my personality that I I almost wish I wasn't a musician when I go to some concerts. Uh, good or bad because if I go to a bad concert and I hear like an orchestra and it's out of tune or whatnot it's very hard for me to forget that and just be like well you know this is a lovely experience and what what a great opportunity you know for kids or professionals or whomever to make music I'm just like oof that that you know E flat was out of tune on the violin or whatever Uh, and same thing with a pianist since I'm so intimately connected to and, and know the music that's most likely being played. I mean, there are occasional concerts I go to with a world premiere that I don't know, but um, I know how it should go and the parameters within which that should be played, kind of, we can talk about that another time and I think Mike <laughs> and I have about what should or shouldn't. But, um, you know, I have this expectation, this knowledge, and so if something runs contrary to that, it's so easy for me to just pick that up. Oh, yeah, that didn't, okay. I already have a lesser yeah. uh opinion of, of, of this pianist, let's say. I try to work around that and say, "Well, let me give that a second, you know, a second hearing, and let me see if they're internally consistent. Even if I don't like a certain interpretation, like if they keep that up and it's an artistic choice, I can maybe respect that. You know, there are all kinds of uh, psych- or logical pretzels I twist myself into to, to get around that. <laughs> yeah, um, but sometimes yeah. it's very hard. I'm just like, yeah, this is not a great performance, and then other people will hear the same concert, like." oh, that was beautiful. I'm like, yeah, I didn't enjoy it so much. It's know. it's tough.
0: I I feel like I, I certainly do not have perfect pitch, but you hear people with perfect pitch talking about, oh, it's a curse. Like, you know, I always hear every out of tune thing. I feel like just a, a strong focus on or a strong musical background and, and a focus on technicality can be very much the same. Oh, yeah. In In yeah. like you're saying, go to a concert, you know, you're like, oh, That's not what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. It could have been amazing, Mm -hmm. but that, that previous knowledge, that expectation, or that like focus
1: on certain little things can pull you out of the, the experience. By the same token, if I hear a really phenomenal, um, performance, I think, oh my God, nobody else in this audience understands how amazing (laughs) this is as (laughs) much as I do. I I saw Hao Chen Zhang, uh, a few months ago, do Tchaikovsky concerto with AZ Music Fest orchestra. Um, it's in a big church, not very good acoustics for that kind of ensemble, you know, orchestra and piano, solo music. I mean, the sound of the piano just goes to the ceiling. Um, it was like unbelievable. I would say top 10 of all the performances in my life. That's in, in the top 10. Wow. The best Tchaikovsky I've heard. it was just riveting. And of course. People loved it. They clapped, you know, most of the audience is probably over 50 or 60. Um, he finished. A lot of them already started to leave to get in their cars. And he came and did an encore and people stayed. Um, but I'm like, oh, my God, he should get tens, you know, outstanding uh, ovations and, and callbacks. It, it was unbelievable how good it was. And I'm sure people just thought, oh, that was so beautiful. And they're going to say that about another pianist that comes to which is nowhere near his level. <laughs> so yeah that's that's tricky for me because I'm like I'll never yeah. reach that pinnacle um but I can appreciate it so yeah,
2: yeah that's anyway. so, so well there there is the and that kind of gives it to the one of the topics that that we had discussed chatting about and that's just like aim for perfection, especially when when we're trying to like uh record and we've talked a little bit about recording concerts. Mm-hmm. But when, we, when we're trying to record specifically, I was thinking about like a, a, a traditional classical artist, um, you know, or a jazz artist. But I think even more so with a classical artist, you know, trying to trying to create that perfection, that impossibility um, in a recording um you know, and, and what that looks like, how that collaboration works. And, 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 you know, I thought that would be interesting to talk to you guys about, like, you know, I know you work together on a couple of albums, but Mm -hmm. talk to me about like that relationship between the artist and the producer and and engineer and how that kind of, um, you know, how to get the best performance and how, and how to know when it's time to, to move on and, 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 you know, okay, it's, 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 we're, we're, we're good enough. Like that's a, that's a difficult thing to say, but at some point you have to say it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think it's interesting. That's, that's to me that good enough thing is one of the biggest victims of the amazing proliferation of technology that we have today. You, you didn't have an option 40 years ago like mm-hmm. it was good enough that, all that the there wasn't a question mark involved right. <laughs> it was <Yeah>. just <laughs> yeah. that was it out, <laughs> we were out of tape yeah. we were out of time yeah. we were right. out of budget <laughs> we're all going home and you know and and now it's like oh well you know we can come back tomorrow the stuff's cheap or or i'm doing it at home we can keep on yeah. going but i think uh yeah that whenever i Provide input. I tend to be much more, you know, there's glaring technical things that it just, you know, that was the wrong note. We probably don't want the world hearing that. Like, that's one thing. But, you know, there are little imperfections. And sometimes I feel like I'm at a disadvantage if I don't know the repertoire super well a project I'm working on. And there are other times where I feel like I'm at an advantage because I'm listening the same way somebody else who doesn't know the repertoire Mm -hmm. will be listening. And, um, you know, the technical perfection you get on the 50th take might not match the energy and the, just the potency of the third take. And, Mm -hmm. and it's, that's a tough balance. I mean, it's, I think those arguments
2: will go on as long as people record music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and Elias as the artist, like how do you feel like what are you as I mean other than just utter frustration all the time every moment? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Brett um, is an amazing person to work with. He is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I did not want to strangle myself. (laughs) I think it was a one. So we made, we made um, two CDs, two albums together. One was a solo album and one was uh, with a violinist that I've played numerous times with, and both were amazing experiences. Um, They weren't without, you know, tension sometimes and challenges, but the whole process was awesome because to me, a lot of that was new. I had produced one other album, not in the same manner and whatnot. It was in Banff, uh, another great recording engineer, and and I had a lot of fun with that. But this was like taking it to a new level, and doing so many things and seeing so many things that was just it's not in my in my world. Um, and like like Brett was saying, you know, there are sometimes because it was just the two of us when it was the solo solo project, so we're kind of co producers in a way. And we have to think, okay, when is this When is this good enough? The, the idea of satisficing. Um, I forgot who coined that term. I think it's the organized mind. I can't, maybe Mark Leviton. Anyway, um, like when when do you do another take? And when do you say, well, let's do a full run through and then kind of patch it back in, you know, and, and then you have to worry about matching the acoustics of the room. Maybe it's a little drier an hour later, or vice versa, you know, something like that. Um, that whole process was very eye-opening. And I think a lot of people think, oh, you you played a wrong note. No, I just splice the right note in. Yeah, it's that easy. No, it is not. You know, I, I recall one particular edit where it was a really gnarly passage that I had. I think it was in Lisp Ballad number two. And um we could we we were splice we were putting two different tracks together but this sound the overall sound from the from just the previous chord that was kind of carrying on in the room was a little different and we had to sort of mesh them or match them and and boy i saw brett taking that slider with his, his computer you know just going back and forth like where I was like, what are you doing? Just like right there looks good to me. He's like yeah, but, but there's a little different ambient sound in this upper register. I was like, whatever dude, you know
2: um, keep telling yourself that um,
1: <laughs> Just stop right there but really when he was going like faster than I okay, I can sort of hear that the levels are a little, little different. I think it took us an hour or him an hour. To find exactly the right place for the fade in and the fade out, where I wasn't missing notes and I was getting the same energy that I wanted, and uh, you know I wasn't losing that uh, continuum, uh, and that was so am- amazing to watch. A little bit depressing to watch. <laughs> I was like,
2: why can't I freaking play this just perfectly? <laughs> so, um, well, by the way, and that's by the way, that's the other like tricky thing is, is at what point are you do you decide to splice it? Um, that way, and what point do you try to like just replay it? Yeah, um, you know that's a difficult decision because at some point you got to go like it's like I got it that one time that was <laughs> that was the, that was yeah. the time.
1: Um, yeah, I I know I remember Brett saying that a lot of because I, I didn't want to splice, I didn't want to do edits, I wanted to have an edit free CD, whatever that meant. And he's like, no, dude, you you have to like make edits. <laughs> Professional <laughs> artists all make edits, and I think. I don't know if it's from you or from some package deal I saw through through a company like when you get a, a basic deal you're getting 200 edits for a CD that's that's pretty standard you know some edits are probably in the thousands in on Easily. some, some Easily. CDs which blows my mind <laughs> yeah. because my first CD I think I had like 15 or 16 or maybe 20 edits I was like wow that's a lot and then people were like that's <laughs> nothing and I think on my my solo one with you we had 50 some or 60 some, but I remember yeah, it wasn't bad at all. It wasn't bad. Yeah. But uh, you know, and we were constrained with other things. I mean, we were working around a McGill sketch construction yeah. schedule and all this stuff, but, but we ended <laughs> oh, up having,
2: my heavens! Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Right. I'm so sorry. Yeah. We had a couple <laughs> of sessions.
1: We, we scheduled like five different weekends and I think two of them <laughs> were canceled because they were yeah. doing a production. Oh, on the piano Metro. Problems yeah. And yeah. Like,
2: okay, we're, we're meeting at 3. AM.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> But there's one piece I remember. Um, it was the Schubert Impromptu Number Three from Opus Ninety, and it was qu- I could play that quite cleanly and, and as as I liked. And there was one note; uh, it was like a G flat that didn't sound as as loud as I wanted to in a certain part. And I played the couple tracks I had. I basically did two takes for that piece. I played them for my teacher. He's like, "Yeah, I mean they're both great. Just just splice that one section in." That's it. I mean, it matches. It's going to be fine. It's, it's going to you're going to hear that G flat how you like. And I said, I thought I could, but then I won't have the satisfaction of having a non edited, you know, one one piece. So I left it as it is, as is, and it has a slightly lower e, uh, G flat sound that I want. But I can say that, OK, that's one take. Of course, they're et- they're are ma- there's mastering after that, so that can be considered editing also. Uh, but, you know, it, that's a fine, that's a gray area. Yeah. But I just thought I have to have at least one, like, single take for something. Straight through. Yeah. But it's a very yeah. daunting process. It's very humbling. You get frustrated more and more as you do it. There, there was one passage with Roland when we recorded that, it was in a Beethoven sonata, these trills, which I was not matching him on. And I just couldn't get them perfectly clear. And I must've done 14 takes and he was getting frustrated. You probably were. And like, you know what, let's, let's just kind of like play the whole th- thing through again. And the first one was pretty good anyway. So then I think I did it better. And, you know, it was just that, that psychological block that I was having.
0: So. It's there's something weird that happens with with any anybody in the studio. Um, you know, when you have an audience, the, the options are keep going or keep going. yes like, right. <laughs> or, <laughs> those are your choices. Keep going or keep going poorly. Like, you know, there's no there's no like well, I've seen it twice in my life where somebody's like, We're starting over. <laughs> but <laughs> but you know, like generally speaking, We started this thing. We're finishing it. And, uh, and yeah, you know, like it's, it's incredible. I, I was, uh, there was a producer who was here this summer working on a project and I was just kind of tangentially involved, helping out, you know, with getting systems up and running and stuff. And, uh, and he said something amazing to the artist. It was a a decent size ensemble. I think there was 10 or so players. He said, even if you think somebody, something went really badly, keep going because the best thing you ever play might happen two bars later. Mm. And like, and, and that's, I, I'm shamelessly stealing that line because, Mm -hmm. you know, it really is easy in the studio. There's no audience. There's nothing to propel you onto the next bar. So when something happens, like, you know, you hit those trills, it's like, ah, yeah, let's go back to it. And then you build up that like cycle of being more and more frustrated with this one stupid thing. That's just not working and Mm -hmm. just not the way you want it. And, and uh, yeah, that, that was such a good way to look at it because a lot of times you have amazing performances that have a small imperfection. Mm-hmm. When you're in the studio, you focus on the small imperfection yeah. rather than the
1: amazing performance. Yeah. Right. I think the psychology of performing uh, for a concert, I'm usually very nervous right before uh, you know, I get up there and I'm like, oh gosh, can I start this? And usually I have a piece that I can start, you know, the opening solid, but then you think, boy, I could even mess this up, this simple thing. And and you're so nervous and you start playing. You Okay, this is getting better, getting easier. Yeah, I can. And by the end of the concert, it's getting easier. Like, oh, I'm almost there. I can finish this. And, um, and you're elated at the end with the, well, hopefully you didn't have too many mistakes or whatnot. But with the recording, I feel it's the reverse at the beginning. Yeah. Super confident, like calm. Oh, this is going to be, I can do this as many times as I want. You start playing, oh, this is sounding great. It's going awesome. Oh, my God, I, I've already gone a minute. I better not screw up now. And oh, boy, I, I, I'm definitely in line for a screw up. It's, it's about time. <laughs> <That's laughs> so and, and then you just start thinking, like, when am I going to screw up? Okay. Can, 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 I do, can I reproduce this again? Oh, my God, I probably can't play this well the next time. <laughs> can I please screw up so I can stop thinking about screwing, not screwing yeah, up? <laughs> yeah, it's a reverse. It's so tough.
2: Yeah oh remember. man that's
1: yeah,
2: yeah th- it's wild how the psychology of that little red recording button <laughs> makes such a yep yeah. oh it's
0: yeah i i feel like there's also a hypersensitivity to not just the playing but the uh, i was working on a piano album uh the summer and there were just a couple of notes that were not not sounding as evenly as everything else on the on the piano, they just were kind of needed a little extra oomph to get out and uh and the artist had played one of it was a it's an all list album, and he'd played a couple of the um a couple of the movements a couple of weeks before on the same piano, mm-hmm. and it was that like you know, looking at the big picture was we're getting through, we're playing this concert. And then when it came down to the small picture, it was like, oh yeah, these notes are a disaster. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, were they a disaster last week or are we focused more on the disaster right. that they are this <laughs> week? You know, it's, it's really a <laughs> yeah. tough chicken or the egg sort of
1: thing. No, oh,
0: yeah. You get very
1: hypersensitive and in, 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 in a concert too. I tell my students that, that when you do get nervous for a concert, that, can be a good thing because your your yeah. senses are heightened, and you can if you can channel that and use it to your advantage, um, you can hear it more clearly. Time sort of slows down, so you have more time to do stuff. So you're like, oh, this hard part, which is technically difficult, I have all the time in the world to get all these notes and play it exactly as I want um, because your heart is yeah. so fast. So it's hard to do that. You know, I, of course, I rush in performances too, and it's it's hard to take a step back. But um, if you can use that energy in a positive way, your, your performance can be better than anything you've ever practiced. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's, it, I ahead. was, I was going to say, it's interesting. I, I, this is something I I haven't figured out the right place or time to, to sort of address this, but, um, I, I've talked to some of my students about that. Like I have the same I have the same sort of nervous energy before a recording session or certainly before like a live broadcast mm-hmm. as as I used to when I was playing. And mm. uh and I think it's it's interesting. It's it's the same sort of like you're you're trying to be you're hyper focused. You're trying to be as good as you can possibly be. Um, And I think I, I don't know. I, I really want to. F- uh, so find a way to investigate this. Like, am I, am I just mm-hmm. weird that I still have this, this sort of nervous energy, or is this like a normal thing for other recording engineers? Other than I know a lot of my students are like, oh yeah, why would I be nervous? I'm just recording something. I'm like, yeah, you're just recording something. Like, that's amazing. You right. know, that's a big
2: deal. Like, <laughs> like, like this is the thing that's going to last forever. This yeah. performance doesn't last forever. This tape does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like that.
0: That's more important. Are you
2: kidding me? <laughs> Archive of, uh. There's something to that. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, because uh um trying to trying to reassure somebody. I, I was just doing some voiceovers for somebody and, you know, they're trying to get the right inflections and trying to get everything just perfect. And um, and it was funny because it was just a silly little, little thing that we were doing. Um, but, but I saw, I felt myself like before hitting record going, okay we can do this again. If we mess up, like, like it's okay. If this one doesn't work, it, you do, you feel that, that it's, it is, it's that nervous energy. It's that, um, you know, uh, it could, it's gotta happen. That's a really interesting take Brett. It's, it's true, man. You I, mean,
0: yeah, I don't know. It's, it's something I've been thinking about more and more. Um, and, and trying to figure out, you know, what, like I, I, I make my own luck with my recordings a lot of times, like it's, it's not luck. It's that I was here an hour before somebody else might've showed up and I checked things and I would, you know, but like, that's all driven by these nerves, you know, yeah. like if, if I wasn't nervous about it, I would just you yeah, know show up a few minutes before and it'll probably be fine. Like, you know, it's all, but it's all coming from that same place that, that made me want to practice and think through my music before I play, it. you know, like, mm-hmm. okay, let me make sure I well, know.
2: And this goes back to like any artist, it, you know, a performing or recording or anybody who, you know, takes their craft seriously is that details always matter. You know, if you're worried about those few notes, hitting those few notes, right. Or you're worried about, you know, the, 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 the 50 Hertz hum in the, in the wire that's going to be there that, you know, and so you're going to take care of that. Like those details really, really matter. And, and it shows up in the final product. And And I don't care what anybody says, like, you can't just slip shot, you know, yeah. those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's yeah. The preparation is so important. Uh, and I, I just remember a teacher of mine who always made, a bit of a joke out of the idea that, you know, pianists would not do all the work that they knew to beforehand and then come to a concert and sort of pray to God, look to the heavens and say, gosh, I hope you help me. It's like, yeah, <laughs> you had ample opportunity to help yourself beforehand. Right. And you should have taken that, you know, upon yourself. Um, I would go as far to say, <clears throat> this is kind of a performance, you know, just the podcast coming on here, especially because it's visual. I know yeah. I, have, you know, my own little ticks and my own little this and that. And, um, you know, gosh, I'm going to talk to Brett and, and Mike. I better, I better be ready. But I get that we, a lot. It's okay, Elias. I know, I
2: know. <laughs>
1: as we go farther in and I use humor to, you know, protect myself and whatnot, um, and as the story unfolds and I, you know, unfurl my thoughts, it's like, oh, this, this is actually fun. And I trip up here and there and, and it, it's okay. But, but this is kind of like a live performance with not yeah. so much pressure, but it's going to be, you know, recorded and sent out into the into the ether um so you want to do it's going to go time. viral
2: because of your audience members i'm just saying oh, that's
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> all 250 of them um right but yeah but it's it's the nerves are still there even for something like this um and it's like how do you work through it and i think in a performance um if you've prepared well enough you can kind of take a, a step back and say okay i'm going to start telling this story i think that's where it comes into the human aspect maybe to Go back to the AI thing, but if you can connect with somebody, or I feel that I'm playing um, to a group, or I hear a noise, I'm like, oh well, I probably lost somebody's attention. Maybe I can do something interesting here that I might never have done before in my practice, uh, and and make something of the music that's like interesting to myself. Uh, I think that communicates it better, and and I like having those th- those freedoms to do it. Uh, occasionally, I'll get lost in having you know one of these. Sidetracks, and And then I think, oh crap, where am I? Like in the piece, I've got to get back on (laughs) on track. But if I'm really in control, I like that feeling where you're, you're just kind of almost looking at yourself. It's like an out of body experience. Um, And the nerves are sort of gone uh, in the, in those moments, you're just creating something awesome for yourself and and hopefully for others. Um, But it's, it doesn't always get there and you, you kind of zone back and forth uh, for that at least i do
2: I, I want to if you if you don't mind i want to bring back and ask you guys a question because one of the real differences between recording no matter how naturally you want it to sound um a, a, the difference between recording a, an album um you know for in, in a proper studio kind of recording versus a concert is the time linearity is that a right word like mm-hmm. like the, yeah. the, the, like um, you know for example you know elias as you're preparing for this show in vancouver you know you're thinking about the order of the pieces that you're going to perform you're thinking mm-hmm. about you know and I, I don't know about you but i would always teach my students i still teach my students that you know you know what a great technique is to learn the end of the piece first so you're feeling more confident as you're moving through yeah. the piece you know and, you know little little things like that um but with the recording it is different not just in terms of of being able to splice things in like we've been talking about, but even just the order of how you, what you're going to record first doesn't necessarily have to be the first piece that you is going to be the first on the album. Mm -hmm. So how do you, you know, how do you collaborate and make those decisions of like, what do you, are you you trying to just get something quick and on the board first? Are you trying to do the hardest thing first? What are your, your thought process in in, in deciding what to record and and how to go about that?
1: Yeah, I'm not,
2: I'm not entirely got,
1: sure, but you go ahead, Brett. Yeah, uh, yeah,
0: I've, I've got, I've got some some thoughts on that. Uh, I assuming we're talking about like a multi-day recording. You know, you're yeah. you're doing a full album or something. It's going to be four or five days, something like that. Um, I always like to start with something easy first because there's already enough pressure and tension and stress and enough other things going on that the hardest thing, if you start with the hardest thing, you're, you're a better person than I am. Like, you know, I always, I always advise like, oh, okay, let's start with something that you feel good about. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, maybe you've got headphones on for the first time, or you're in a new room that you've never been in before or whatever that the, all those changes are. Um, but then a lot of it to me is I've always looked at it from, a from a difficulty and an energy perspective, if if there's a movement of this piece or one of the pieces on this album that's just going to be soul-crushingly difficult and it's going to require every ounce of strength you have, let's not end the day with that. <laughs> let's yeah. not, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or maybe let's end the day with that and make sure it's a short day or, or mm-hmm. something like that. You know, I, I always try to make sure that there's never such a such a drain at the end of the day or if or if there is a drain it's we're hitting it right at the very end the last take and it's not like oh i'm glad we got that one out of the way but now we're just struggling for air for the rest of the session and Mm -hmm. it's tough i mean it's Mm -hmm. uh and the bigger the ensemble, the tougher it gets because mm-hmm. something is really tough for the oboe, uh, right? <laughs> one movement and something's really rough on the violins, the next movement. And it's like, okay, so how are we going to do this? You know? So now you're pacing, but you're pacing out between like five or six different soloists or sections or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that energy part is the big thing for me is just making sure that no one's, no one's totally wrecked, you know, halfway through the day.
1: I like how you, how you put that. I mean, I, would agree with the kind of starting with something you're very comfortable with and easy. And I think we planned out when we uh, did the solo album, because we knew we had a certain number of days. It was maybe four days total that we yeah. recorded it um, that, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do this kind of order and we'll do maybe short, long, short, long piece or whatever. And maybe yeah. this one can be in some sections and yeah, it's uh, mapping that out. It's, it can be tough and you, yeah. you, you want to have, you know, you want to have good energy for a difficult piece, or what you see as a difficult piece. But it could be a technically difficult piece, or it could be a very emotionally draining piece. Right, um, and those things you have to consider too. Is it like, well, I can maybe warm up, uh, like maybe I wouldn't start with a techni- technical difficult, uh, technically difficult piece yet. But do I want to start with one that's emotionally tough too? Maybe my ears and my mind and you know my imagination is not opened up either. So yeah, you know maybe something that's a little simpler, and then I can always come back to that. You know, usually a, sh- a short one or two pieces also is good. Um, is,
2: is there yeah, is it's tough. um? And again, you know, match part part of the you know part of the job of the mastering engineer is to match the energy from track to track, and and when you have a multi day recording session that that can be really hard to do um you know matching that energy and i'm thinking like for example if you if you're if you're performing a piece one day and you end up having to perform the same piece the next day yeah you know how how rough is that it can be tough yeah i think we did that the vine sonata was very difficult
1: to, to record because there's a lot of like ethereal kind of sound floaty stuff going on and and you've got to match the uh, ambient sound, you know, it's the only piece I've ever performed where the middle pedal is indicated. Um, so you create this like soundscape. I know uh, maybe one other piece. I've, I've done that uh, more recently, but uh, it's weird. So if you do it one, in one day and you have this concept and then you go, you know, go to sleep, you're like, hmm, I should have maybe done such and such. And you come back the next day and you're totally hearing it or thinking of it differently. Uh, any of the takes you do that day might not match. Yeah. Right. Hand, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah and and I think you know in a lot of ways um when we worked on your albums that was some of the that was some of the most not not crazy adverse conditions but spreading out by weeks and weeks is really tough too because mm-hmm. it's just it's more time for you to to develop different thoughts and mm-hmm. and, and plans yeah, well, and, and stay technique. on top of
2: your game. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah and and so
0: yeah it's real easy for those things to happen like you said you know it's it's not just waking up the next day and having a different outlook on something it's like oh it's a week later and i've practiced this oh, on a different piano and now i've got a different feel in my thing you know like it's yeah. it's rough you know i really like yeah. it's one of the the sort of uh un, unintentional victims of the way recording has changed you know it used to be okay we're doing this recording We start Monday, we end Friday Mm -hmm. and it's union rules. So we never record more than three hours at a time. We take Mm -hmm. a two hour lunch break. We maybe if we have to come back after dinner, we take a two hour dinner break. Mm -hmm. And like those things make records expensive, but they also give people time to breathe and time to think. But without being so much, you know. If you do three hours of recording, a two-hour break, three hours of recording, it's enough time for you to recover physically and emotionally and mentally, but not enough time for you to to sort to of lose your re, yeah. reimagine the work, you know. And <laughs> and uh, yeah.
1: I, that's a, such a luxury these days to be able to do that. Although I will say, I I kind of I saw and one advantage to our schedule in that, um, well, aside from certain things maybe maybe being canceled where I was getting ready for it, but. Um, spreading things over, sometimes it was a few weeks between a session for right, one yeah. album, and then maybe we do another, out uh, like with uh, Hold On, we do a piece, and then we'd come back another time for my for my solo, something like that. I don't yeah. know the exact dates; I haven't written down. But then I could really say, okay, we're going to be recording these three pieces this day or this weekend. I can really focus on those focus, and yeah. not worry about getting this whole program perfect. Uh, and then you know I can. I can come back to those in three weeks, whatever, if I need to, if I have some revolutionary new ideas and it's just come, you know, it's like perfect now, but, yeah, but also I can focus more on the other pieces the next time and, and just have a little more time for that to settle. So it, in the end, I think it, it, uh, worked for me. It worked really well. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was good. But for it, someone who you was know- like an Ashkenazi, you can say, okay. I've got 10 CDs right now ready, you know, just hit the record button and uh, I'm going to start playing. No, I can't do that.
0: You know, that's something that's that as you were saying that it really got me thinking, you know, there's a real flip that's happened in the way people record and tour. Mm -hmm. It used to be you'd go on tour and when you were done with the tour, you'd record the CD. And now it's flipped. And so like rather than having months of practice of playing that stuff every night, Mm -hmm. you know, now, now you've got to be on your game and it's super crazy, but, you haven't necessarily played the whole program. Worked it all out. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's really yeah. um, stand-up comedy's got it right. That's still the way they do it. You know, they go they go tour for three months and then they come back and do the you CD do or, or do the special. Yeah. yeah, you know, they don't do it on the first night of the tour. That'd be a disaster. <laughs> right. you,
1: have to, you have to practice. I always think that stand-up comedy is one of the toughest fields. Oh, because, oh you know, yeah. I, I think about what I do, and and there aren't words to it. You so a
2: microphone and. A bunch of heckling drunk (laughs) audience
1: members. Well, even if they're not drunk, what if Mm -hmm. they don't find it funny? Like if somebody doesn't like a piece I play, well, you just don't understand it you know yeah. or,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that's on you buddy I, um, I think i think
2: i think comics think the same thing <laughs> God, it's so I tough. Mean, you just didn't you didn't get that joke <laughs> yeah. but yeah, the that's only fine. thing nobody I, laughs
1: so you're you failed even you know?
0: the, the only thing i could think of is and i don't know if this is maybe it's happened to someone somewhere can you imagine playing a concert and you get done with this piece and you're like yeah and then just no one claps. Like that's the only yeah, equivalent you, I can think of, right? right you tell a joke and just yeah. silence. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, it, there's one thing if you finish, and I wish this happened more because I think we're, we're now prone to just clap immediately and, and giving give a standing ovation for whatever. But there are some pieces where just they have an, a magical ending and it's beautiful. And you just want to savor that moment. You need to and absorb it. Cl- yeah. Claps. It's like, yeah. oh, gosh, like just wait. Give me a second. Yeah, you know, for the end of that piece, like Schubert last sonata. You know, just wait a little bit. I remember going to a concert in uh, Montreal. There's a very good um, quartet festival. Do you remember that?
0: Uh, Yeah, Misk
1: M M I S -S Q. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, one quartet played. I I think they did Janacek string quartets or something or something a little out there. Beautiful, wonderful, and you know, not nobody really knew them. Um, maybe it was not even Janacek, a lesser named comp- or famous composer. Um, and there was a famous uh, critic in the crowd who, I, I don't remember his name, but I think everybody kind of knew him in big red coat and all this. Anyhow, he had the score with him. And uh, the, the piece ended, it was just such a sublime, like soft ending. He was following along the score. And then he started clapping. And I was like, oh my God, you just want to show off that you know this yeah. piece, why, why don't you just enjoy the moment? You know, nobody knows this. We can collectively enjoy it for the, at least the first hearing. So yeah. that was, uh, that's where the ego got in the way. But those moments are are rare, I think, today.
0: that was That was something that we had a lot of fun with on this concert we just finished up, is because we were designing lights and sound and video and all that, there were, I think, two times during the concert that at the end of a piece we either kept sound going very intentionally like a low you know enough that people were like something's happening and i don't know if it's over Mm -hmm. or blacked out entirely and Mm -hmm. didn't like you can clap when the lights come back on you know Mm -hmm. like it's this sort of subliminal you know and everyone has to just sit there and think about what just happened and it was it was super fun you know like it was you could, you could add Name that later, you, Brett. Yep. <laughs> you know, when I, you give I, me all the buttons, it's going to happen. That's, that's all there is, don't you know. hit the red button. Um, <laughs> I
1: think there's something to be said for jazz, which isn't my favorite genre, but I enjoy it and I can go listen to it and I like it live. I like going to a jazz show more than just listening to jazz because to me on the radio, if I listen to it after 10, 15, 20 minutes, I'm like, yeah, okay. I kind of get the idea. It's a similar thing to me. And yeah, fine. I'm a I'm a novice, but um, one thing that I think they really have figured out is endings to pieces, because they can kind of finish. You're like, yeah, and then some. You know, drummer can do a little drum roll at the end, and then the saxophone, you know, and the singer can trail off. You can kind of keep it going while people are people are clapping. Right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like also the why didn't we that
2: the less formal audience, you know, we're in the middle of a piece. You've, you, an audience member, can feel free to, you know, yell out, and you know, yeah. it, I, I do wish we could bring some of that back into the traditional classical world. Where we're not necessarily yell out, but where you could, where where, you know, you could experience the piece, you know, as as we talked about before, a little bit more in a raw state than, yeah. um, you know, and, and appreciate, you know, if if somebody's doing a. a a beautiful uh, cadenza or something like that, and just like it blows you away. Like, what would be wrong with going, Whoa, you know, that that would be I, I wouldn't like know. want that to be, honest, like, <laughs> I'm sure I, you I, wouldn't, yeah, yeah. I do like, I
1: do like, in fact, it's part of the the um the practices of the genre and jazz to like clap after the solo, even if everybody's yeah. yeah. continuing, you're like, Oh, that was an awesome solo, good job, and you don't even know if they're really done or not, or if somebody's taken over, uh, yeah, that's like, Oh, that was a quite a display. But yeah, in classical music, I don't even like when people clap between movements, but it's a thing in some (laughs) places. And some conductors really, uh, especially here in Phoenix, I know they've, they said, no, let's do it. Because back in the day, you know, when these pieces were premiered, they didn't do the whole concerto or whole piece. They might've just done one movement and you'd clap after it. Um, Yeah. And I understand there's a big ending, you know, you want to clap after that, but I wish there was just like, wow, this like, you know, collective awe and amazement and now we're going to get set up for the slow second movement or whatever it is. Um, but instead, what happens is after the first movement, big, big thing, you know, everybody claps. And after the slow movement, everybody coughs. So I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> come
2: on, guys. Brilliant. <laughs>
1: you're not wrong. No, yeah, you're not <laughs> wrong.
2: <laughs> That's what it is.
1: So, anyway. <sighs> oh.
2: Well, guys, I, man, we keep going. I want to keep going. We're just, just going to have a, have to have a part trois. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Why? No, before, <laughs> I yeah,
1: I think you've been – this is our third time, right?
0: Yeah. It's, it's always cool. a good time. You we know? love it. So we we Keep love on coming
2: it. back as long as you'll have me. I <laughs> do love it. So,
0: yeah.
2: Brett, uh, people want to find out more about what you're doing and the, the projects you're working on. How can they find you?
0: Uh, blpaudio.com is my site. If you want to hop on there, uh, yeah, you can get in touch with me there or, uh, yeah, just keep a lookout there's a lot of fun cds coming out doesn't matter who they're by just go out and enjoy some good music
2: amen elias what about you you got this concert coming out what else people want to find out what uh, you're doing oh yeah i guess you can go to my website which i need to
1: update so <laughs> Uh yeah i have another website too for my festival in, in albuquerque so uh, that's that's uh in in the works but yes. Good,
2: good, and, and this has been such a busy summer. It's great to have yeah. both of you guys back on again on *End of Love Remains*. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Mike is gone. You are listening to *End of Love Remains*. Gone, but not forgotten. First of the 23 installments requested by Dr. Levitt. Trying to be in compliance here. Every day taking him and that whole
1: organization